Of course, somehow William does it every time and just picks like the perfect song. Um, and it, it made me a little nervous first when Steve was starting to talk because he went to Shepherds, but then he started talking lambs, and I was like, well, there, there goes my lesson. But uh, we are going to focus on the lamb today. Um, and so I really appreciate, again, Steve's thoughts too uh, in making us thinking about the shepherd, as Jesus is that part as well. But now we're going to talk about Jesus is the lamb, the, the beautiful lamb, as is so well presented there in the, the song that we just sang. So what if I said, if I was talking about someone, uh, and I said, bless her heart, or isn't she precious? You know, I'm from uh, the Midwest, Melissa's from California, so depending on the context of the person that's listening and, and the context of the person that's saying the things, uh, to me that sounds really nice. I think that sounds very sweet. Um, but bless her heart. I think true Southerners really understand uh, that has a, a secondary meaning many times. Uh, and it's not exactly bless her heart, or isn't she precious? Uh, there are a lot of small ones here, so I, I won't uh, even use some of the, the kinder things that that could mean, but uh, that's not generally what is meant. So, you know, it makes sense to some, but to some others it doesn't. And so without the regional context, and I think without the background uh, information that we might have uh, about that person, we might not fully get the meaning. And so I think the same is true for us when we look at passages, even in the New Testament, which are, you know, many times fairly simplistic, we might think, but without, without the regional context and without the background, sometimes we might... Uh, mess up those two and not fully understand them. So look at John chapter 1 and verse 29. You can turn there. If not, though, I'm going to mention this phrase probably about 20 different times as we go. Uh, and I thought about this as we were going through our John study. Um, and, and John the Baptist there with his disciples, you know, Jesus shows up on the scene and he doesn't say, hey, hey it's my cousin Jesus. You know, check him out. He says there, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so again, I think uh, in our culture, we have difficult understanding. I think some of the, just the, the depth of knowledge that the disciples, John's disciples would have had uh, at that time is such a, a rich and a broad statement that, uh, that John is making here about Jesus. Uh, so we're gonna unpack that just a, a little bit more this morning. And I think the background for this statement is rooted somewhat in Genesis chapter 22, verses one through eight. You can turn there if you want, we're just gonna reference it. but when Abraham takes his son Isaac up on the mountain, uh, puts him up on the altar because God had instructed him to do that. And we know from the story that Isaac is spared at the last second. God spares him. And in that act, he offers this alternate uh, or alternative sacrifice. And as they're going up the mountain, part of that passage, Isaac says basically, hey, Dad, this is a fun trip. You know, I see the rope, I see the knife, and uh, I see the fire and the firewood. Where's the lamb? Um, and so Abraham answers him, and he says that, well, God, God will provide the lamb. So I think it's interesting, though. He literally says God will provide himself the lamb. So I, I think it's one of the most striking prefigures, I think, of Jesus that we can see in the Old Testament. So we may interpret that God himself will provide the lamb. Um, but how do we understand that lamb of God, too, is what we're going to discuss uh, so when we think of that, um, that lamb, what comes to mind? Because he literally says God will provide himself the lamb. So I think if you're anything like me, though, you'll think some of the following things about lambs. You know, lambs are very innocent. Um, have you ever seen a picture of a lamb and just thought, well, dude looks guilty? I mean, you, you don't, right? I mean, it's, uh, lambs, they're just, they're innocent creatures. Uh, they look innocent. And, and other animals don't uh, look so innocent, no matter how hard they might try. I think of possums. Again, Melissa's from California. Possums every night, you see these just beady, glowing eyes on the, the concrete you know, wall behind her house. Uh, so no matter what they do, they just cannot look innocent. Uh, if, if you see a problem 
when you see something bad has happened, you see a possum, it's his fault. Absolutely, 100% of the time. So um, they are not lambs. They are not innocent. And, and some creatures just can't look that way. Uh, there's a reason that lambs are in petting zoos, right? I mean, it's, it's not a problem because they are harmless. They aren't going to bite your children uh, unless your children are just complete antagonists. But no one ever says, look out for the lamb. It's going to kill you. I mean, it's just nobody says that because lambs are innocent. Uh, they look harmless. And, and the majority of, you know, stuffed animals, they're cute little lambs. Maybe not the majority, a lot of them. Uh, some of you might be weird. You might actually have a possum stuffed animal too. Uh, but generally that's not the case. Normally they're, they're little lambs or something cute like that. Uh, it's because they're cuddly. They're just, they're soft and they're, um, they're no threat to anyone. But they're also young. So he says the lamb of God. He, said, he doesn't say the sheep of God. We talked about sheep this morning too. He doesn't say that. He says that this is the lamb of God. And because a lamb is an animal that's just early in its life. And we know that lambs are weak. We know that lambs are defenseless. They have no ability to protect themselves. They, they don't use their teeth to bite people. They don't use their legs to kick people. Uh, they don't have any horns with which to defend themselves or to go after something. Uh, so lambs are innocent in that way too. Uh, it's interesting too that the lambs that were used in sacrifices in Israel also had a particular quality about them. Uh, that they had to maintain. And I'll, I'll kind of show you how unusual that is. By asking you a question, I'd invite you to, to raise your hand uh, to answer, but how many of you have ever broken a, a bone in your body? And just raise your hand. Okay. That's a, that's a decent number, uh, if you didn't look around. It's, it's a, at least you know, quite a few of us. Um, there's a whole host of people in our club that have broken bones, and, and probably for some of us, I know my kids for sure that are prone to accidents, it's more than one bone in our body as well, especially over a lifetime. Um, and a lamb, you know, when it's offered, according to Exodus chapter 12, uh, verse number 5, had to be an animal without a broken bone. There it talks about being uh, free from defect uh, or any kind of a flaw. And specifically, it states later on in that chapter that it could not have a broken bone. So the lambs that were offered in the Passover, Exodus chapter 12 and following, uh, the lambs that were offered in the Passover had to be kind of sheltered or taken care of. Maybe received some special treatment as well uh, to be protected. Because if they had broken a bone, they were no longer useful for service. Of course, if I'm a lamb, you know, I, I wish I had known that probably, and a lot of them probably did too. But, uh, but they were to be kept by Israelites that way. And um, I think part of the reason it was a lamb is because it's, I wouldn't say impossible, it's, it's a lot tougher to keep an animal into adulthood uh, without it having some kind of a broken bone, especially out in the wilderness. Uh, it might be a little more difficult. Uh, and I think too, when you ask the, the group, and we've got a fairly young crowd, maybe that's, that's part of it too, that the older the crowd, more likely are to start seeing some hands go up. Uh, so to think about keeping a lamb into its adulthood in a sheep, uh, I think that would be kind of difficult. But he says the lamb, and here's Jesus that's being represented here by this uh, as a lamb. And he's in his 30s, probably his early 30s. Uh, this concept of having a broken bone is very symbolic. It, it's, it's very uh, literal as well, but a symbolic thing for Jesus. And my point is that Jesus had no flaw. Because that Exodus 12, that's what it's talking about when it's talking about the lamb. It's not just about the no broken bones. Uh, but having no flaw about him. So when he dies, we know on the cross his bones will not be broken, which is customary to kind of speed up uh, the death process. So that wasn't a consideration for Jesus. So I want you to imagine, though, living 30 years of life, not having a broken bone. But I think more importantly, as you think about Jesus, uh, having never sinned. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, just 30 years old and having never sinned. There is no flaw, there is no defect in this man, Jesus. Uh, at this, this age of 30 or 32 or 3 or whatever. 30 years of life without spot, without blemish, without sin. 
So most of us can't go a day without that. I'm not saying that be critical, but it's like we just we can't go without sin. It's difficult for us to do. And here is a man that did that until his death uh, in his 30s. He's never sinned, never a lie, never an outburst of anger, never gossiping about someone else, never striking someone, never taking from someone. He never sinned. That's hard for us to imagine. So the Lamb of God, an unbroken life for 30-plus years. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty amazing to me. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says, He was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. His innocence and his defenselessness by choice. Uh, he was led because he chose to do so uh, as his perfect sacrifice for us. And so I think when these disciples hear that phrase, behold the Lamb of God. You know, we, we hear that, and I, I think we just kind of gloss over I, I do. I just kind of gloss over that kind of quickly sometimes. But when they hear that, they think about that. They really understand what that means, this Lamb of God what that means uh, to them, especially uh, the Jews that, that were following Jesus and John at that time. And they saw him as, as a sacrificial lamb, uh, one that was, as we've mentioned already, that was willing to give up his life. By choice, he became defenseless. We know that he wasn't. Uh, he, he mentioned the fact that he could have called down plenty of folks to help uh, if he needed or if he desired. Uh, so he could have done that. But it also says that he is not a lamb of God that was just created. There are lots of lambs, but this is the lamb of God. That's a, a pretty special lamb. But we know the children of Israel observed at the temple daily two lamb sacrifices. So just saying 730 lambs a year you know, killed in Jerusalem. Just lots of death, lots of blood. In fact, uh, Josephus writes about in the time of Nero, a, a particular Passover where there were 256,000 lambs that died for one Passover. I mean, it's, it's hard to fathom, right? I'm thinking 730 a year, that's a lot of lambs. One Passover, 256,000 lambs that lost their life to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus is called the Lamb. John doesn't say, behold, a lamb, just common and ordinary. This is the Lamb of God. And it's also of God. Uh, again, that, that makes it pretty special right there. Uh, it just wasn't a created lamb. This was the Lamb of God. And I, I have no doubt when this phrase was uttered by, uh, by John to these disciples, they really understood this. They really understood the context behind it. They understood uh, the biblical references, and they understood the Passover that they had been experiencing, uh, experiencing all their lives. They heard, you know, this was an innocent, kind, gentle lamb. We get that part of it. It's a lamb. But they also heard sacrifice. They heard protection and uh, perfection. They also heard finality, I believe, uh, in this when he says the lamb. So how do we understand he takes away the sin of the world? It's, it's interesting. He says the sin of the world. He doesn't say that it sins. He says it's sin. It's, it's a bad pun. It's singular. Singular. Uh, we aren't taking, we're not talking about individual sin. Even, I don't think. I think that he is talking about the whole concept of sin. Like Jesus has washed that away. Jesus has removed sin. And, I, and a lot of times I just think, well, yeah, he's removed. Remember that time I lied? Remember that time I cheated someone? Remember that time I... Jesus wiped out sin. It's pretty impressive, and I think there's a point to be made about that, that he has the ability to, by his life and his death and his sacrifice, to utterly wipe out sin, all sin, uh, to take it all away if men will come to him, of course. Sin, the overarching just concept of just rebellion against God. Christ didn't have that in his life. Christ did not sin 30-plus years. Uh, he was perfect and had no defects. And again, not just our sin, the entire world's sin. Because I do, I, I do like to take this personally, too, and understand that, yes, he did take care of my sin, but he wiped out all sin for all people of all time. 
Um, he's come to take away the sins of all of that. And notice, too, though, that he's taking them away. Because I, I, a lot of times I do think more of just the Old Testament concept of that, where he is just kind of covering up sin. Uh, or maybe he's making a restitution for it, but he's still acknowledging it. There's still sin out there. But that's not what this is. Jesus has come to take away all sin. And I think that's important as well, to remove the sin of the world. I think it's such, it's such a powerful statement. And it seems so simple. Like I said, I, many times, even in our John class, I just kind of read over that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, John's just announcing who this is. But when he does that, he's making quite a statement. Uh, what Jesus is, what he represents, and what he has come to do. And finally, he says, behold. Well, he starts with behold, but my, my last point, finally. He says, behold the Lamb of God. And behold the Lamb of God that comes to take away sin of the world. Uh, and beholding is something much different than just seeing. Like, because for me, I'd be like, I see him. Oh, yeah, there's Jesus. But beholding has this, this undercurrent of just understanding to it. Seeing, but also understanding and, and perceiving a little bit. Uh, it's like, you know, when we're explaining something to someone, and, and then we say, do you see that? Basically, do you understand my point? Uh, that's what John is saying. Behold him. Understand who this is and what he represents. And he says to the disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, understand that. Look at this man. Look at who he is. And again, understanding what Lamb represents that is of God and what he's coming to do. It's such a powerful statement uh, for them and what his purpose is, what his goal is. And understand what his life and his death that we are here to celebrate this morning uh, mean to us and, and what that means to them. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because again, remember, these are Old Testament following Jews, many of them. So they understand, yeah, eventually there's this guy that's going to come, and he's going to wash this stuff away. He's, you know, we've just kind of put it off as kind of the way I always looked at it is that sin is still there, but until Jesus comes to offer that sacrifice, that sin is still there. Jesus says it's gone. He's gone and taken it away for us. It's the Lamb of God that uh, has saved our soul. And, you know, I, I love the church of the Lord. I mean, I think, I think it's the church's role to help preserve uh, our relationship. But you guys don't save me. I love you guys, but you don't save me. You help me preserve that relationship with the Father and with the Lamb. Uh, but it's the Lamb that is saving us. It is the Lamb that is willing to do this in this sacrificial way, this defenseless, you know, weak Lamb, this innocent Lamb that has come to do this for us. And he is the substitute for me. You and I are the Isaac on the altar. But we actually deserve to be there. Isaac probably not so much. We deserve to be up on that altar. Uh, and, and he is here to provide himself the Lamb. I think is a pretty cool way to look at that. He's the substitute for us. So this morning, I want you to behold the Lamb. That's all I'm encouraging you to do. Behold the Lamb. The sacrificial suffering Lamb. In fact, I'm going to just read a quick passage from Revelation 14. Uh, and I'm sure William and Richard will really explain this much better later. Um, it starts off, uh, Revelation 14, 4. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. To the Lamb wherever he goes. These are the ones who follow the Lamb. So I'm telling you, you know, we're getting ready to partake of this testament, but it's also a renewed promise, I believe, as well. Uh, we're getting ready to recommit ourselves to the Lamb wherever he goes. And that's what we do every Sunday morning. It's part of beholding the Lamb, understanding that we are celebrating him, but we're also recommitting ourselves to him every week. And I, I think that's why it's so important. We can celebrate what he did for us by promising to go wherever he goes. 
this lamb. We understand him as the shepherd. We follow the shepherd. Uh, but the Revelation letter also says we're going to follow that lamb too. All right? I think that's a pretty cool way to look at it. We will follow him wherever he goes. So behold the bloodied, the humiliated, the tortured lamb that gave himself for you. Uh, because he is, you know, the one that will save us. He, in the Bible, and in the mind of God, it's, it's hard for us to represent that sometimes because victory is through loss. I mean, victory in life is through death. Um, that, it's hard for us to understand. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to the, the Jews in the first century. That you're going to offer up this weak lamb to save our souls? That doesn't make sense. I want this shepherd that's going to lead us and, and kill everyone else. Uh, but yet, God says victory is through death. Um, life is through death. And, and victory uh, is through this lamb. So behold this lamb, um, as we partake of this Lord's Supper this morning. Behold the lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world. So I'll ask.